I ask Matt and Angie, raise your hands there, Matt and Angie. How many of you in here are single? Raise your hand if you're single. Now see here, some of you, it's like this. Not half-masked, all the way up if you're single. All right, I'm asking all of you who are single to help Matt and Angie launch this new phase of the singles ministry this Sunday at 9 o'clock. Be here. Are you going to have donuts and coffee? Krispy Kremes? Something like that? Singles food. No. Um, love to have you. 9 o'clock. And I, I'm asking you point blank to help us to build it. You can be in the core. The core group that helps to build the singles ministry. Half the population is single. So to not reach singles is insane. That's half the population. So be a part of the core group and say, well, I'm looking for something that's happening. Go make it happen. The happening is in you. All right. All right, let's uh, turn to Mark chapter 2, and I've got it up here. And we're continuing through Mark's gospel. And you know, what I want to do with this is I'm just trying to get as close to Jesus through the Word as I can. How many of you want Jesus? I mean, Jesus. That's why we're here, isn't it? Jesus. How many of you want to grow in Jesus? Can you say with Paul that I may know him? Well, Paul already knew him. He's saying that I may progressively come to know him more and more and more. He's basically saying, I can't get enough of Jesus. That's what he's saying. Well, you find Jesus in the Scriptures, and we're taking a journey through Mark uh, with Jesus. And let's look now. Here's Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And let me just read it, and uh, you can pitch in, I think, towards the end. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. What did Jesus do? He preached the word to them. What were they so hungry? Why did they gather around the house? Because he was preaching the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, look what they did. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. Can you say with me, desperate faith? That's desperate faith. That's determined faith. When Jesus saw what, everybody? Their faith. He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, and they always are, thinking to themselves. And here's what they were thinking. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, what, what does it say? He knew. He knows what you think. He knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up? take your mat and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, 
get up. Take your mat and go home. Boy, don't you know that was a walk on the way home with his four friends. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, read it with me, everybody, we have never seen anything like this. Amen. Father, we just thank you for your word tonight, and we pray that you will help us to touch the Son of God through the Scriptures, to grow in Jesus, to learn of Jesus, increase our faith, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, perk up and listen, you're going to need this tonight. <laughs> this is a great story, and we're going through Mark. I've told you a few things about Mark to kind of orient you to the book. It is the, the gospel of immediacy. Matter of fact, in these 12 verses, I found three immediately's. Uh, it's, it reads like a newspaper. If you want to tell somebody who's just been born again what, what book to read in the Bible, I would say either Mark or John. Matthew and Luke focus far more on the teachings of Jesus. Mark focuses on the actions of Jesus. And it's at breakneck speed. I forget how many, I think 46 times the word immediately, something like that, is in the book of Mark. Immediately this, immediately that. Mark is showing us a Messiah who has a goal, who is on the move, who is, um, who is headed towards the cross, who knows exactly what he's there for. So you hear him, he immediately this, he immediately that. The gospel of immediacy. Now, I wanted to pull out a few of the miracles. It's not all we're going to look at in Mark but a few of the miracles because of what they reveal about Jesus. And I don't know about you guys, but the older I get, the more it all just boils down to me, to Jesus. Why are we here? Jesus. Who changed you? Jesus. Who died for you? Jesus. Who's coming back? Jesus. It all just boils down to Jesus. And by the way, don't miss Sunday. Because we're going to begin the apprentice series and we're even going to have a handout for you, an apprentice handout for you to take notes because we're going to be changed. I'm telling you, we're going to be changed. Promise. Now here, let me show you what we learn about Jesus. First of all, it begins with a man who couldn't help himself. He could not help himself. The Bible says he was a paralytic. Now, we don't know what did it except Jesus lets us know it had something to do with sin. All sickness does not come from a sin in someone's life, but some sickness does. And Jesus, when he sees this man, and I'm jumping ahead, but just to kind of cover this, when he sees the man being God, he immediately scanned him with his x-ray vision and saw the root of the problem. And the root of the problem was that he was a paralytic from some sin. Because Jesus said first, your sins are forgiven you. Then he healed him. So the man's need was not just physical. It was spiritual. And Jesus took care of the spiritual need first. And that's the way God works. The devil works from the outside in. 
He comes at you from outside in. But God works from the inside out. You become born again. When you get born again, you experience the born again uh, uh, spirit-filled, your, your whole nature being changed by the Holy Ghost. That's the beginning. And God begins to leaven the whole lump. He begins to change the whole life. But it begins within you. Now, he looked right into this man, and he knew exactly what his need was. His greatest need was spiritual. His greatest need was forgiveness. Now, he's a paralytic, and, and when I see this, I don't know if he was quadriplegic, I don't know if he was paraplegic, but he was on a stretcher. So something bad had happened to this man, and he apparently had been this way for quite some time. And he had friends without whom he would never have been healed. He had friends. And when I picture this guy, he, he can't help himself. He's paralyzed. He's on a stretcher. He's at the beck and call of other people. Uh, he's got to have other people taking care of him. In our day, he'd be in, in an institution of some kind or being taken care of in, in a home by others. But when I look at him and he can't help himself, I realize that so much of our world is paralyzed like him if you look at it this way. Paralyzed in the sense that you feel helpless. Maybe an addiction has a grip on you and you feel helpless. You need somebody else to help carry your burden. Matter of fact, I'm calling this tonight. He ain't heavy. He's my bro. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. Because that's what these four men are going to show. You can have an addiction to a drug. And it's got a grip on you. And you feel helpless. And if somebody doesn't pray for you or help carry you, you're just not going to get healed. And I'm speaking not just to those who feel this way, but to those who know somebody this way. Because you're either in this man's place or you're in the place of his friends. Where you're either going to be the helper or the helpee. But either way, we're all in one of those two categories. Depression may have a grip on you. Do you know how many Christians experience depression? Do you know depression is almost one of those things you don't talk about in church because everybody says, well, you ought to have the joy of the Lord and, and what's the matter with you and snap out of it. And they don't really understand the grip that depression can get on you. And so depression is one of those things you just don't tell people uh, how you feel. Oh, I feel wonderful. And you go out and you die by the time you're in the car because you feel depressed. Or maybe a fear has got a hold of you. And you have fought that thing and you don't know how to get out of it. It's just got a grip on you. Or what about loneliness? So many Christians are lonely. You know, I read a story the other day. Uh, this this, this uh, reporter went into an apartment complex and he began to interview people. He began to interview people doing a study and a story on loneliness. And here's what he was told by one woman in there. I go to the mall every day and I act like I'm shopping every day. Just so that one of the salespeople will come up and talk to me. Loneliness. You can be alone and not lonely, or you can be in a crowd and be lonely. What about lost? Lost people are everywhere. 
And the thing about their lostness, spiritual lostness, is the worst lostness of all because you don't know you're lost. So people are paralyzed in many, many different ways. I deal with people all the time, very regularly, too regularly, who are hooked on drugs. And they just need somebody to say, you know what, I'm going to carry you. You're not heavy. You're my brother. You're my sister. Christians get hooked on drugs. Christians get lonely. Christians get depressed. Christians deal with fear. Christians are human beings who happen to be saved, and they're trying to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. But it doesn't mean everything is peachy. So they feel paralyzed and they don't want to tell anybody because the last person you tell in the, in, in, about your struggles is somebody in the church. And I don't want to be a church like this. I want our church to be where you can walk in and say, you know, I'm really struggling. Well, let me pray with you. There's some churches you walk in there and you better put on your halo, well polished and a big smile and don't tell people your problems. Isn't that sad? One time I preached in Houston, I, I was invited to preach at a, at a Bible church. And this Bible church had never had ever in their whole existence an invitation. And so I asked the, the, the and it was a group of elders that ran it. There was not a, a head elder that I could discern. There was a group of them. And this was a very wealthy church. I mean, you drove up in this parking lot. All you saw was Mercedes and Beamers and Cads and all of this. Wealthy, upscale suburbanites. And I asked the, 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 one of the elders, I said, listen, I don't speak unless I can give an invitation. He said, well, you know, I'll get back with you on that. And I knew right then, <laughs> something's wrong here. He called back and he said, you know, uh, Mr. Wickwire, uh, we think we'll just postpone, translated, you ain't ever darkening these doors if you're giving an invitation. Well, I had a friend who went there wealthy, really well off. He got mad. He approached the elders. He said, I want him to come. And he had his way with them. He called me back and said, well, okay. And I'll never forget. I preach and I'll never forget. Those elders were, were plastered up against the back wall. <laughs> and this church was loaded with people. It was packed to the gills, but they never had an invitation And I remember when I was ministering the word, you could have heard a pin drop on a shag carpet. They were used to dry, didactic, boring, plain vanilla. And I'll never forget before he introduced me, I was at the chair on the stage and the devil hopped on my shoulder and said, now when you get up there, you better be cool. You better not be who you normally are. I mean, just get up there and just kind of be professional and just teach a little bit and don't offend them. And you know, the Holy, the, listen, the devil will try to intimidate you at, at the most opportune times. The Holy Spirit said two words to me, be yourself. So I got up there to open up the Bible and I said, here's what I'm going to preach on. I started preaching. I mean, I did this, I did this. I paced and they were, they were stunned. Those elders looked like somebody had pushed them into the sheetrock. And then I said, I want you to stand up. And I said to these wealthy lawyers, doctors, CPAs, I said, some of you need Jesus in your heart. 
And I'm inviting you to come down and ask Christ to save you and deliver you. Suddenly, there was a stampede. Kathy was there, a stampede. There was no room in the altar. And these wealthy, successful, educated, intelligent people, it turned out in some areas in their life were paralyzed. Tears ruining the makeup of so many of these women. I went down to one of them and she said, real quietly to me, I've been considering suicide. We began to pray. We couldn't get through everybody. We finally, an hour after I gave the invitation, had to leave. The elders were speechless, dumbstruck. What are they going to do? Jesus moved. They followed us to my friend's house, (laughs) knocking on the door. We didn't get prayed for. Seriously. I'm telling you, there is a need and a hunger and a desire that is almost desperate on the heart of people. They want Jesus. They don't want dry, dead religion. They want Jesus. So it makes me think of this man. How many people are paralyzed on the inside? How many people need to be delivered? How many people need to be carried through a problem into wholeness? This man was blessed with four friends, real friends. Now, I've thought about this because I noticed, as I shared with you already, that Jesus told him that he needed to be forgiven. Jesus knew that he needed forgiveness, and he knew that somehow sin was connected to his paralysis. And so I thought, do you think the friends knew that? I do. I do. I think the friends knew that this man had sin in his life. And I want you to notice the attitude of these friends. They didn't say, well, you know, we would carry you to the healer if the cause of your affliction were unknown. But since there's sin in your life, tough luck, bub. God bless you. We'll see you at church. Oh, you can't make it to church. Well, sorry about that. Now, now, I'm salting and peppering this with a little bit of humor, but I want you to catch this now. Do you think friends that were willing enough to pick him up and carry him a long ways on a stretcher, each holding a corner, do you think friends like that knew about his stuff? Do you think they knew about his stuff? I do. I think they knew about his stuff. And yet they carried him. Now, one reason I focused on this particular uh, miracle is because we need to see as a church the real Jesus as opposed to the pharisaical kind of church that you see some kind, way too often in our day. The judgmental, tear you apart, non-restorative, critical, judgmental church, I want you to see what happened in this drama. This man had sin, and this man was paralyzed. And yet he had four friends that said, don't care. 
we're friends. We're your friends. Hello. When you become a Christian, do you lose the capacity to be a friend when somebody has warts on their nose? You know, and I see Jesus in the story, and again, I'm jumping ahead, but he honored their friendship. I want you to understand, folks, that Jesus is a restoring Christ. Now, I'm going to say that again. Jesus is a restoring Christ. I'm going to read a real important verse to you. It's in Galatians 6.1, and it says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are, say the word with me, spiritual. You know what that means, spiritual? It means those of you who are like Jesus. Spiritual is when you're like Jesus. You're not going to get any more spiritual than being like Jesus. Hello, everybody. If you're like Jesus, you're spiritual. Spiritual. So what is he telling us? The earmark of a spiritual person Look what it says. If any of you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Why do you have to do it in a spirit of gentleness? Why? Considering yourself because you could be tempted too. You can fall like a rock. You. Not me, Pastor Jeff. I've been in church all my life. I know that Bible backwards and forwards, buddy. I'm there on Wednesday nights, and if you have early morning prayer, I'll be there too. Good, because I'm about to have it. <clears throat> I'm not going to be falling. I'm mature. Are you mature? You can still fall. You who are spiritual, he's saying, you spiritual ones who are like Jesus, if you're not careful, you could stumble. Now look what he says. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, bear one another's burdens. He ain't happy. He's my brother. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ. The law of Christ is what these four men did. Their friend had sin. Their friend had sin. And the sin had gotten him to such a point where he could not help himself. What do you do with someone who can't help themselves? Someone who's been in the church. Someone who you find out is addicted. Somebody who you find out has sin in their life. What do you do? Do you, do you diss them? If you're spiritual... Now, there is a difference, and I want you to hear this now. Sure, discipline is real. Sure, you need to call sin, sin. You can't help somebody if you don't call sin, sin. But at the same time, you've got to have a heart to restore. And if you don't have a heart to restore, you're not spiritual. How many of you want to be spiritual? The rest of you, you want to be carnal? <laughs> so one day these four friends they hear about Jesus and they're watching their friend suffer 
He's paralyzed. He's got sin in his life. They're watching him suffer. And one day they hear an incredible story. There is a man walking around. His name is Jesus. And this man is healing the sick. And you know what happened to them? Something in their heart was ignited with faith. And they had a thought. Wow. Do you think he can heal Joe? Joe can't get to him because he's way over yonder. But we can put him on a stretcher. We've got faith. And we can pick him up and we can carry him to the healer. Do you see the ministry of prayer here? They brought him before Jesus. When you bring a name before Jesus, you are in essence carrying the paralytic to Jesus. They knew where to take him. We can't fix him, but we heard about somebody who can. And you know what? Faith tells us if we can just get our friend to him, something incredible is going to happen to him. This is an amazing story. It's, a, it's an incredible drama. They looked at each other, and I believe they said something like this. This isn't in the Bible. I'm conjecturing, but I think I'm right. No matter what it takes, we're going to get our friend to the healer. If it takes blood, sweat, tears, time, distance, effort, perseverance, we're going to get our friend to Jesus. They weren't condemning him. They weren't judging him. They weren't coming down on him. They said, we're going to get you to Jesus. We've got the faith for you. We've got the arms you need. We've got legs to walk. We can do what you can't do. So, friend, you're not heavy. You're my brother. You're down. You're hurting. There's sin. But you're my brother. You who are spiritual, that's what you'll do. Now, the Bible says that they were willing to work for a breakthrough because when they got there, they couldn't get near the house. And I want you to see the power of perseverance here and what Jesus honored. They couldn't get near the house. It was surrounded by people, packed with people, turning people away. Now, I want you to notice the incredible faith of these men. They persevered through a crowd, still couldn't get into Jesus. So they looked up at that roof and they said, bless God, we haven't come all this way for nothing. See, just because there's obstacles doesn't mean something isn't God's will. It was God's will to heal this man. But they had obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. But I want you to catch tonight, just because there's obstacles doesn't mean it's not God's will. Sometimes you've got to persevere through obstacles to see a miracle. And they said, whatever it takes. We've already promised whatever it takes. So can you imagine this now? There was a, it was a thatched roof, probably mud and, and, and thatch, uh, bamboo-type stuff on the top. It was not the kind of roofs we have. They, they said they dug through it. So they hoisted this man up onto the roof. Can you imagine the ride he's getting? I mean, he's having to really trust them. Don't drop me now. Don't drop me. Careful. They said, we brought you all this way. Something's going to happen if we can just get you close to him. We know our faith tells us there is something about this man. And can't we be the same way with people? If I can just get you where you can hear the word, get you where the spirit of God is moving, get you where you're, you've got a, a, you're in a, an atmosphere of faith, no telling what's going to happen to you. 
So they get him on the roof and they start digging. Now here's Jesus. He's down in there. He's got a packed house. And you think he didn't hear this? It's not squirrels walking around up there. These are big, heavy footsteps. And all of a sudden he's teaching this crowd a hole pokes through the ceiling. Now, if I'm, if I'm a lot of people, I, I motion to the ushers. And I say, handle it. Get them off. They're distracting me. If I'm a lot of people, I turn to my elders and I say, take care of that. They're, they're, they're interrupting me. But not Jesus. I think he kept right on teaching until finally, and you got to think about it, he's on a stretcher. They lowered him down right in front of Jesus. So the hole had to have been about six feet. They dug a six-foot hole in the roof. Just kept on digging. Jesus kept right on teaching. And all of a sudden, can you imagine it with me? Turn on your sanctified imagination for a minute. He's sitting there teaching, and all of a sudden, well now, and what would your name be? (laughs) What would your name be? Now, I'm going to tell you. The Bible uses this language. And when they had broken through, they got a breakthrough. When they had broken through, they lowered him. There comes a time when you get a breakthrough. You can feel it. It's tangible. It's like something you're, you've been pushing, you've been straining, you've been persevering, you've been believing, you've been binding, you've been loosening, you've been fasting, you've been praying, and all of a sudden, you get through. And it's like the heavens open up, and grace begins to shower down. And what had been all struggle, all of a sudden, you're through, and you're in his presence. I picture these friends looking down. They're holding him. And I think they probably just finally let it rest on the ground. Jesus already has the whole story on him. And I picture the friends peering down. You know, today, and and I'm not an emotional guy. This This made me tear up. I thought about it. These men, they're peering down. They're sweating. Their hearts are beating. Their faith is red hot. I think the man on the stretcher was looking at Jesus with hope and with desperation. Is this real? Have I come to a circus sideshow or is this real? Are you just a ringmaster or are you real? And Jesus looked around. He sees the furrowed brow of the Pharisees. And he looks at him and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. The guy knew immediately what he was talking about. Your sins are forgiven. Then he read the thoughts of everybody watching. When Jesus comes into a room, he knows every thought in the room. This is our Jesus. 
He knows every thought in the room. He knows the intents and motivations of every heart. And he scans it. And he reads your mail. Nothing surprises him. He never says, well, I'll be. He scanned their thoughts and he said, let me tell you guys something. I know what you're thinking. Who am I to forgive sins? Well, I'm going to tell you something. What's easier, to forgive a sin or to heal the sick? It's easier to heal the sick. It's much more difficult to forgive sin. Only God can forgive sin. So what I'm letting you in on is I'm God. I'm God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was theos, God. He was God standing there in skin. And he said, I just wanted you boys to know you're not dealing with a good teacher, a charismatic leader, an inspirational personality. I have the power to forgive sin. But only God can do that. That's right. That's right. And his problem is he needs forgiveness. You know, so many things begin to unravel themselves in our life when sin is taken care of. You begin with the sin issue and you move out. You begin with the sin issue, and once you're forgiven, a world of opportunity and potential is opened up to you. He turns to this man, and he says, your sin has forgiven you. And now I'm telling you, get up. Now, I think when he said get up, you talk about anointing so thick, you could cut it with a knife. You talk about an air of expectancy and electricity that charged that place when he said, get up. Here's his friends peering down through the roof. And he hears the master say, get up. And he who had not been able to walk, not been able to move, had been bound to a stretcher, locked up in sin, tormented of soul, useless in body, stood up. Now, I'm, these are real human beings, and I'm guessing there was one major Pentecostal fit on the roof. I'm thinking there was church on the roof. You've heard about church on the rock. You've heard about church here. There was church on the roof. This was church on the roof. I think they started hooping and hollering and screaming and yelling and rejoicing. Can you imagine throwing the stretcher? They carried him on all that way away. Can you imagine them walking home? Can you imagine that? I'll tell you what, they had a Pentecostal, I mean, it was a visitation. What a great, great, incredible story. Now, let me tell you what we can glean from this quickly about Jesus. I want you to say this with me. Jesus honored the faith of friends. Jesus honored the faith of friends who didn't judge, who didn't condemn, but who reached in and said, we want to help you through both kinds of paralysis. Second thing about Jesus, Jesus never rebukes desperate faith. This was desperate. Digging through a roof, lowering him down, interrupting the meeting, carrying him all that way, that's desperate faith. 
Folks, Jesus never rebukes faith. Never. He never rebukes faith. How many of you have ever had desperate faith? How many of you have desperate faith tonight? You don't have to tell me. If you, know, you know it if you do. And here's the third thing I see. Jesus is always approachable. Jesus is always approachable. No matter what it is, you can approach Jesus. You know, being a pastor, people tell me all the time, you know, I was afraid to come to you. I was afraid to tell you. I was afraid to let you in on this. And if they see me that way, they probably see him that way too. Well, God, I don't want to bug you. And, or, or here's this one. It's me again. And yeah, it's the same old thing. And we think that somehow God just says, again, get out. Mm-mm. Jesus is always approachable. Always. And if you're coming to him desperate, crying, screaming, squalling, he's going to receive you. This is the Jesus we present at this church. We want the prostitutes to come in, the drug addicts to come in, the alcoholics to come in, the down and outers, the up and outers. We know where to carry you. We'll pick up your stretcher and we'll carry you. We don't have it, but we know who does. He can forgive your sin and he can heal your life if you'll come to him. Can we stand together? I'm so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Teacher, our Redeemer. And Lord, we just come to you and we thank you that you're in charge. And we thank you that you're approachable. We thank you that you never rebuke faith, even when we come to you desperate. But especially then, you receive us. And we thank you, Lord. You don't turn anyone away. Thank you for the Jesus we see manifested here. And we thank you, Lord, that we see you honoring the faith of friends when the paralytic didn't have it. And Lord, we ask you to help us to reach out to those who can't help themselves, who are addicted, bound, troubled, tormented, whatever. And Lord, I thank you that when we come to you in prayer with them, carrying them, you honor the faith of friends. You honor the faith of friends. In Jesus' mighty name. Now I want you to take a minute with every head bowed and think, is there anybody in my orbit that God wants me carrying? to him in the place of prayer. Is there anybody out there he wants me to be helping? Pray about it a minute as we just worship the Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want to be born.